0: Hello and welcome to All Things Women's Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Stroud. Now, I'm a board certified obstetrician, gynecologist. I'm a husband, I'm a father, a grandfather, a small business owner. I'm a lot of things. But today, I'm your host on All Things Women's Health. On this show, we'll discuss all things women's health, and always from a Christian Catholic perspective, from childbirth to infertility, from pregnancy loss to menopause, homeschooling to personal trainers. If it involves women and their health, it's on the agenda for all things women's health. Joining me today is a good friend and colleague of mine, Amber Todd. It's been a joy to know Amber and her husband, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to introduce you to her and some of the great work that she does. We live in a broken world. It's just a fact. And increasingly, we need help with our brokenness. We need tools to help us heal ourselves and those we love. Relationships can be difficult. Marriage can be difficult. Life can be a series of struggles. Of that, there's just not really a debate. It's been said that we're not defined by whether we have struggles, but how we approach them. Not whether we fall or not, but how we get up. Amber's going to share with us how she helps people, how she helps people get up and stay up. So you get comfortable as we get to know Amber Todd and more about her amazing work. We'll be right back with all things women's health. Welcome back to All Things Women's Health, and thanks for joining me in this edition dedicated to counseling in general, and pastoral counseling more specifically. My guest today is Amber Todd, Christian counselor, mom of four, and teacher at heart. Originally from Bloomington, Indiana, Amber began her path at Indiana University as a pre-med student, and only a few weeks into her freshman year, she became one of those people that follow that guy named Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> as Amber grew up in her faith, her passion for helping others expanded into mental and emotional health. Her undergraduate coursework in human development and psychology and sociology prepped her for teaching in the inner city of Charlotte, North Carolina, through the Teach for America program. In the following years, while living outside of Philadelphia, Amber worked in crisis response as a victim's advocate. She also earned her master's degree in Christian counseling, and then she stepped into higher education as a college advisor. Amber and her husband, Nate, moved to Fort Wayne to be closer to family in 2015 during their second pregnancy, which is when we were fortunate here at the Fertility and Midwifery Care Center to get to know her as a patient. After a few years uh, with her little ones, Amber's now started offering her services as of this past spring at our office, and we're thrilled to have her. Amber, welcome to all things women's health.
1: Thank you, Dr. Stroud. I am so excited to be here with you today.
0: Yeah, we're very excited uh, to have you and to learn more about your work. Let's start off by you telling us a little bit about uh, your background and what led you to your current holistic approach to Christian counseling.
1: Yeah, so my whole life, I actually wanted to be a doctor, a pediatrician specifically, and that was (laughs) the plan. And my freshman year at Indiana University of all places, um, learned more about Jesus, as you said, and I became a Christian and just really started growing in my faith. And through that journey, God just started revealing to me the importance of our mental health and our emotional health. And my desire to help people began to morph and change and grow as I pursued the path towards counseling, eventually changing my major to psychology and then human development. And from that journey on throughout experiencing working in the inner city to being a victim advocate and, and really seeing people in different seasons of brokenness, I feel like God has just had me on this journey of learning what it means to truly bring healing to the whole person.
0: Wow. You know, you know, it's it's interesting as a parent of uh, some college kids and now college graduates, you don't hear stories about people finding Jesus at college. All too often you hear so- stories, sad stories about kids moving away and really moving away from their faith when they moved away from home. You were just the opposite. What an interesting turn of events. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I really believe that God meets us where we're at, and sometimes it's in the most unexpected places. So. <laughs> It was a huge time in my life and really changed the trajectory of my career.
0: Wow. Yeah, we shouldn't try to put him in a box. He can do whatever he wants, right? Exactly. (laughs) So let's start with a little vocabulary lesson and talk about some alphabet soup. Now in medicine, we love our terminology um, and the initials after your name and after other counselors' names can be a little confusing. So help our listeners understand what all those letters mean.
1: Right. So when you're looking at a counselor or therapist and their title, typically it will indicate two things. First is their level of education. So it is most often either a master's degree or a PhD or doctoral degree. Hmm. So when you see MA or MS, that indicates that the counselor has a master's level education. And again, if it's PhD or PsyD, a doctorate in psychology, that indicates a doctoral level. And then after that, um, typically you'll see another series of letters, and that is referring to their licensure. It's a little bit different state to state, but specifically in Indiana, the three most common that you'll see first is LMHC, which stands for Licensed Mental Health Counselor, Mm. and LMFT, which is a Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, and then LCSW, which is a Licensed Clinical Social Worker. So when you are licensed, that means that you have that credential through the state to acknowledge your licensure, just like you do in medicine. And so you typically are either looking at their education or their license.
0: I see. Wow. And I thought physicians were complicated. (laughs) So what uh, what are the initials behind your name and what uh, is their meaning?
1: So I have a master's degree in Christian counseling. So behind my name, you'll see the MS. It's a master's of science degree. I went to graduate school at Cairn University outside of Philadelphia, which was formerly Philadelphia Biblical University. So I have a graduate school level uh, Bible training and also training in psychology. Um, And because we resided in Pennsylvania, the licensure is a little bit different in Indiana. So I've been Mm -hmm. on a journey of pursuing uh, licensure here in the state. Um, so I have the MS and then I'm also certified in integrative mental health. And I've been through a lot of different types of training, such as inner healing prayer. And really I have a holistic and integrative approach when it comes to my counseling philosophy.
0: So as, as we think about that, if, uh, if a patient were talking to you, how do you think they would notice or would they notice something different about the way you were speaking versus someone with those other initials that you mentioned?
1: So I think, you know, every counselor has their own style and approach, different personalities. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think counseling really is a personal choice, finding a good counselor or therapist who's a good fit for you. For me, I really have a holistic and integrative approach. So I'm coming from a faith-based paradigm in that I'm very transparent about being a Christian counselor. That is my worldview. That is my faith. Um, However, I'm also equally as equipped in psychology theory, and I understand how God made our brains, and I understand neuroscience, and I also believe that all of those things intersect. So someone who is seeking out more of a holistic and integrative approach that is faith-based that would be how I walk alongside my clients.
0: Oh, excellent. So how does someone know if, if they are in need of counseling services, and which type of professional help should they seek if they think they are in need uh, of that type of help?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I think recognizing your need is really important and requires courage. And if you are even sensing that you might need counseling, you probably do. (laughs) And I think it's important to be proactive and not reactive. And so with that, I think you really have to sort of take a um, self-assessment on a few things to determine the best next step. First is looking at the cause. You know, what is causing you to seek out counseling now? Is it a circumstance? Is it a specific challenge or trauma? Is it maybe something that's been an ongoing issue that's now unavoidable? Um, you next want to look at the context. So is it, um, within a certain relationship? Is it in your season of life? Is it something personal or needs to be worked out with maybe a partner or a family member? You want to consider the therapist competence. So looking at someone who is specialized in your specific area, or do you need more of a generalist? So what I mean by that is, Is there a specific reason you're seeking counseling or are you kind of feeling an overall overwhelm or struggle in general? Um, And we'll kind of process some of those specific examples. And then finally, you want to consider what is your level of urgency? Mm -hmm. So if it's you're struggling right now, um, maybe you're feeling extremely depressed or maybe even having suicidal thoughts, that is very urgent. You want to get help as soon as possible right away. If you're you're starting to feel like you're having a hard time, but you could maybe wait a few months, then maybe you have the luxury of seeking out multiple options. So you really kind of want to consider what's most important to you and what's available around you.
0: Well, if we think about maybe the most common reasons that someone may see counseling, I'm thinking maybe depression, maybe anxiety, maybe substance abuse or marriage problems. Walk us through what your approach might look like for helping those kinds of common problems. Because I get the sense in talking to patients for years and years that one of the biggest obstacles to seeing someone like you is just the unknown. What's it going to involve? What what does that kind of care look like? If you're going to see an orthopedic surgeon, you kind of know what that's going to look like. But people may not know what it's like to see you for one of those common ailments. So help us understand that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I can always sense in the very first appointment with a client when they sit down in the chair, a level of nervousness and anxiety, like, now what? You know, like, what what do we do? You're going to lead me, right? And yeah, absolutely. I think a part of my job, just like you as a physician, you're assessing, you know, what the needs are, what all the facts are. You're kind of laying out a map of your plan of care. I'm doing the same thing for my clients based on their internal world. So, I'm looking at what are their thought patterns? You know, what are their areas of struggle? What are their goals for our time together? I'm kind of get, getting a pulse check on, again, their physical, mental, spiritual health. Because I am a faith based practitioner, I think all of those things are important. So, the very first appointment is really um, a lot of listening and intentional questions so that I can discern the best next step forward in their treatment.
0: Hmm, interesting. So for any of those common problems that we mentioned, what is working with you? How does that, I should say, look differently from working with, say, a Ph.D. psychologist?
1: Yeah. So I think, again, it just depends on what your goal is for mm-hmm. seeking out counseling or therapy. Um, obviously, a Ph.D. psychologist has more clinical experience. They're more trained in specific assessments and, and usually they're specialized. So if that's something that you need based on kind of taking that initial assessment, then that would be a better fit. And I would say someone who is severely depressed, like they're debilitated, they're having a hard time functioning, um, a psychologist is going to be able to give them more detailed guidance and more tools and resources than maybe a traditional master's level therapist. Even if they have specific trigger issues, like for example, OCD, you know, Mm -hmm. there are you know, psychologists who specialize in that, and that's all that they do. So they're able to really go into the trenches, you know, just like you dig deep with fertility. That's what, you know, one of your specialties. Um, So I would say a psychologist really is good at the specializing detailed clinical side. I think for me, like I can also treat depression, but I would say it's more someone who, you know, they've been struggling with overwhelm. They're starting to not feel like themselves. We're seeing signs of depression And we can mitigate it. We can help them self-regulate and we can get them back to functioning again. And so I'm doing that from a faith-based perspective, but it's more of a general approach than maybe a specific psychologist.
0: Sure. I mean, I'm hearing you say to some degree that the the therapist temperament and personality might be more noticeable necessarily than their credential.
1: That, yes, that is my opinion. I, I honestly, and again, this is just, I've, seen a lot of clients who've been to a lot of other therapists and you know, not everyone is a good fit for everyone. (laughs) So I think you just have to trust yourself. If you do start meeting with a counselor that maybe you think isn't a good fit, that's okay. It's okay on both sides to acknowledge that because we want the relationship to be therapeutic, beneficial and healing. And so to do that, you need to feel safe and to feel safe. You need to feel like you can click with your therapist or counselor and be honest And I think, so to me, that rapport and that trust is absolutely essential and top priority.
0: How commonly is it to uh, go see a therapist and the patient think, you know, I know that I need some help, but I'm just, I I can't get there with this person. I need to look somewhere else. Is that common? Should that be alarming to a patient? Uh, How would you address that?
1: I would say... It, it can be common. It's not the, it's not necessarily the rule of thumb. I mean, I really encourage people. I just want to acknowledge a, your first appointment's always going to feel a little bit, you know, <laughs> out of your comfort zone sure. and you're feeling vulnerable and you're sharing things. Maybe you often people say, I've never told this to anyone before, but, mm. you know, and so when they say those type of statements, there's a level of, there's a, there's a period of time where you're building rapport with any counselor. So, you know, it may take a few sessions to feel, to determine, okay, is is this does this have potential to be a healing therapeutic relationship, hmm. or if you have red flags and immediately feel uncomfortable, follow follow your your heart in that.
0: So be patient. Not always easy for us human types to do, um, right. and give it give it some time because it is a relationship, isn't it? That requires trust, as you point out. But trust takes repeatable behavior over time. Maybe the emphasis there is some time,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely, and that's why I like to kind of reevaluate every four sessions. I say, let's give it four sessions. Let's see where you're at, mm-hmm. and 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 let's both reflect because this is a two-way relationship. How you're doing on your progress? What we feel like is the best next step, and we go from there.
0: What role, Amber, if any, would uh, the use of medications play in working with a counselor like you?
1: Yeah, I think medication is one of the many tools that it's important to have in, in our, our tool belt of treatment. Um, obviously with me being a Christian counselor, I do not prescribe medication, only doctors do that. And that's one thing that we're really fortunate to have here at FMCC, is that we have a close collaborative relationship with myself and the providers. Um, for the patients here, we have the ability with their permission, you know, given confidentiality to communicate um, if that need should arise you know, I I think one of the things that I'm assessing in that first appointment is how is the the client functioning in their day-to-day life? Hmm. And do they have the ability with the right support through counseling to self-regulate and get to a point where they're functioning well? Or are they just completely overwhelmed and flooded by what's drawing them to counseling? And maybe their brain just needs a little extra support to get them through whatever that season is. And a specific example, I meet with many moms who are You know, pregnant or postpartum. And so when you have a season like that where you're already in overwhelm, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of demand, you know, we really do have to look at the whole picture to determine the next step. So my short answer is yes, medication can be really helpful. Is it always my immediate first go to? No. But I also keep an open mind with every client if I feel that it would be beneficial.
0: Interesting. Yeah. a, A psychiatrist that if any of our listeners have, Heard him on our other show, Dr. Doctor, Dr. Kevin Majors. He's a psychiatrist in Boston. And I like the way he describes the use of medication for emotional and psychiatric problems. It's just like the cast that an orthopedic surgeon puts on a broken arm. It's not designed to be on there forever. It's designed to be on there to let the bone heal. And then once the bone's healed, you take the cast off. That it's just a means uh, to get to a healing spot, I always like to use that analogy when I'm, when I'm thinking about medication really for anything, but I I like listening to you. I think listeners should be encouraged that if they're on medication, they could still see you. And just because they see you or someone like you doesn't mean that medicine's not necessary or not available. That's something that you and your patient would, would figure out together. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. And absolutely. I always encourage the patient to have an open dialogue with their medical provider and, my hope is that through a collaborative approach, we can provide support in both ways. And I have women who have never been on medication come to me and they eventually go on it and we continue counseling or women who have been on medication for years and decide, you know what, I want to wean off this and I need the tools to do it. Hmm. And so I'm supporting them through that process and always encouraging them to keep that open dialogue with their provider.
0: Sure, interesting. And in Kevin's analogy, he would say the bone's healed, it's time to get rid of the cast.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> been on
0: there long enough so you've said that your counseling comes from a christian perspective Uh, in fact it's really impossible to separate your christian formation from your professional work and approach how does your faith play a role in your practice
1: yeah my my faith is central to who i am and i am very transparent about that as a christian counselor and honestly i know you will appreciate this I think we just live in a day and time where boldness in, in being clear about who we are and what we believe can be an invitation for other people who are feeling um, like they don't have a safe place to express that. Hmm. And so for me as a Christian counselor, I, um, I do offer that type of support, biblical counsel, also integrated with psychology theory. But at the same time, I'm very sensitive to where a person is at spiritually, and I meet many people who, unfortunately, have had difficult experiences in the church. Sure. They've left the church. Maybe they're going through a really hard season. They're doubting God. Maybe mm-hmm. they haven't been to church for years. Maybe they've never been, and they're mm-hmm. just curious. I always want to create safe space for people to ask those hard questions and to help them process that and mm-hmm. to even you know, cultivate their own faith and trusting that God will meet them where they're at.
0: It's interesting. I know I asked the question, but I really don't like it. I get asked that question a fair amount. You know, what role does faith play in your work? And then when I think about it really critically, I want to say, to some degree, it doesn't play a role at all in my work because it's so integral and fundamental to who I am. When you ask the question that way, it almost sounds like, you know, what part does this external thing play uh, in your work? And uh, I think to you and someone like you, it's not an external thing; it's an intrinsic thing, and so you can't really uh, separate that out. I, you know, I have to ask you, what, how would it look for you to try to care for someone who isn't uh, a Christian, or her, or at least who, even if they are, they're really not very formed in their beliefs and in their language. How would that work with you?
1: Yeah. So I think it's important. My my, One of my highest values is creating a safe space for people to be heard, known, and loved where they're at. Hmm. And so that's asking intentional questions. It's a listening. You know, I I think sometimes when people think of biblical counseling, they think, okay, I'm going to share something, and then you're just going to throw a Bible verse at me. And then I should just (laughs) smile and say, okay, now it's great.
0: Everything's fine.
1: That's (laughs) not how it works, you know. I might someone might share something really hard that happened, you know, in their faith or in their church or in their parish and and I reflect back, to, you know, that does sound really difficult. Like how how did that impact how you view God? And so I'm listening. I'm just asking questions. I'm I'm creating space for them to process, you know, what what they've experienced and and you know, I I was a victim advocate working in crisis response, you know, in situations like sexual assault. And so I'm, I'm in the public hospitals. I'm working with you know police officers. I'm in the district attorney's office. I've worked with many people who are not believers in very vulnerable situations, and mm-hmm. so that's I think my secret sauce is making helping people to feel safe and and allowing them to express whatever needs to be expressed from their heart.
0: You know, just listening to you say that, I know some of our listeners must be wondering what would it be like to encounter people in crisis like that. Um, and w- what's that work look like what are what are some of the things that that you encountered that shaped you into the person that you are and that kind of victim's advocacy work?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a good question. What is it like? It requires total dependence on God <laughs> and and honestly sensitivity to how the holy spirit wants to meet that person Hmm. i think the people who are the most vulnerable especially when you talk about people who've been extremely violated in the most horrible ways you know god's heart for them in those moments of vulnerability is palpable Hmm. and you know i always say sometimes my greatest ministry is just the ministry of being present and when i would show up to the hospital especially in a sexual assault case And just sitting in the room with a woman who felt so alone and so violated and just looking at her with tender care and love and compassion when she's being bombarded by all these decisions and questions like that to me is love. And I think it takes um, it takes a great deal of humility and patience and trust in God in those moments, because a lot of times the need is far beyond our ability to meet it.
0: Wow. Just listening to you, I know that any of the the women that you saw in those situations were fortunate to be sitting in front of you. And, and we can all pray for them in their recovery now. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, with that in mind, what do you think are the most common reasons that people find their way to you?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, often I found that those who seek me out are looking for a faith-based and a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially the population that you serve here at FMCC, largely has that type of value uh, system in terms of seeking out care. Um, People who come to me, they want someone who is going to um, be sensitive to where they're at in their faith. And they also want someone who's going to provide guidance and wisdom based on the things that they're struggling with. And so I, I think people who appreciate the whole picture, again, you know, I think this is one of the things I actually learned from you. Um, I remember the first time, I think I might've shared this with, with you, but the very first time I met with you during our second pregnancy and I was feeling nervous about natural labor and, and you said to me, you know, like you are made for this, like God created you for this, you can do it and it was like the first time that i felt like you know one i think that's your one of your gifts is just making people feel really seen and and encouraged and and confident in how god created them and that's really what i hope to offer and why people are drawn to me is i think my confidence is in how god created them and that if i can come alongside and support that like that's really an honor
0: mm. you know if you if you had to make sort of a top 3 laundry list i guess um what are those diagnoses or conditions that, that you think probably require a counseling relationship most often? Is it is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it what what are the most common diagnosis type problems that bring people to you?
1: Well, specifically, I think this, you know, it's been almost a year that I've um since I started here and um, I think I see women in the season of infertility, hmm. pregnancy or postpartum. Sure. And In those three categories, and again, this can relate across the board, even if you're not in one of those seasons, but women who are infertility, I'm often seeing on the front end, you know, anxiety and grief. Sure. And then God willing, if they do get pregnant, there's a lot of fear. And so we're working through some of that overwhelm to support them on both sides of their journey as they're receiving support, you know, from, from the providers and I think women who are pregnant, you know, come to see me often. Maybe had a difficult, you know, postpartum experience. Maybe dealt with undiagnosed postpartum depression, or oh. o- they're overwhelmed because they're in the trenches with little ones. And so I think anxiety, um, depression, and overwhelm are probably three top drivers. Yeah. And and that goes beyond, you know, into the postpartum period afterwards. There's that can carry on if you don't address that.
0: Oh sure. Now, with that in mind, do you think that of those diagnoses or of the possible emotional related diagnoses, do you think there are some that are uniquely perfect for you and your temperament and your style?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, as you said in the beginning, I'm a mom of four Mm -hmm. and I am coming out of eight years of pregnancy and breastfeeding myself. And so I really understand what it's like to feel overwhelmed and to not feel like yourself. And, Mm. you know, walking through, you know, postpartum anxiety myself and overcoming a huge life transition of moving across the country and changing all of those things. I think women who just don't feel like themselves, they feel like they know that God has more. They want to be present in their homes. They whatever God has called them to, whether it's in the home or outside of the home, they want to thrive. They want to feel peaceful. They want to have a healthy marriage. I think that's my sweet spot. And that might be in the season of, you know, even women who are walking through infertility and feeling overwhelmed and not feeling like themselves or um, women who are in a past season. I think that's, I just really love empowering women and couples because the husband will often come along eventually. I just love empowering women and couples to receive the support that they need to feel like them best, their best selves.
0: Yeah, it is remarkable, and and we could dedicate maybe an entire episode just to the struggles with infertility couples, but ju- just in my work, I, I literally see the space between husband and wife and the chairs at the desk in front of me increasing over time as the journey gets more stressful and sometimes really ugly with a lot of self-loathing and and blame and and anger. You can see the couple getting further and further apart and it's risky Uh, marriages are at risk i'd like to say if the devil just needs a crack in a couple's marriage fertility is a crevasse and so the ability to see someone like you and to get some skills and some tools uh, to try to fight that back um, people are people are just in such need uh, of those skills
1: yes absolutely and i've seen that we've had. Just wonderful momentum with our infertility and loss support groups, mm-hmm. uh, which meet the third Wednesday of the month, and I have more and more husbands come every month, which has yeah. just been really a neat privilege to see their their willingness to be vulnerable and to recognize that men are impacted too. You know, counseling is not just for women. Yeah. Um, men need support with their mental and emotional health, and I think between our generations i think that stigma is is coming off more and more and men are more willing to be vulnerable and to be honest and to recognize that their half of the marriage you know their half of the relationship is just as important to be emotionally healthy to make the unit strong because that w- that's what we want to see we want to see strong and healthy thriving marriages and families
0: how do you see in, in a common or typical way men reacting to the challenges of infertility and or recurrent pregnancy loss. Uh, how do you see them reacting? And what are some signs maybe of those men's reactions that would, would push you to say, you know what, we need to spend some time together, uh, you and your, and your spouse as a couple, because I'm seeing some warning signs that there may be problems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one thing I hear from husbands on both sides of infertility and loss is that they feel helpless, right? And men are wired to fix, you know, you're (laughs) wired to protect your wife and to save her from pain, or to make the pain go away. Mm. And you can't, when you have a life circumstance that's out of your control, and you're struggling to process it yourself, and then you're seeing the woman you love the most in the whole world struggling to process it, it can leave you feeling very helpless. And so I think I often see men stuff that because they think they quote unquote need to be strong for their wives. But then it might come out in anger and irritability or emotional disconnection, or maybe even filling that void with something else that's not healthy. And so I just think for men to take an honest inventory outside of caring for your wife, how are you doing in this season? And what do you need Hmm. to move forward to be the support that she needs to
0: Wow. So, when you're talking to couples uh, or individuals like that, how do you know, as the therapist, that things are getting better? What you know, what measure of success uh, do you use to help a couple know they're getting better, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I think you know. Overall, you know, I'll give you my subjective and objective answer. <laughs> I think just overall a sense of inner peace. Mm you know, I can, it's, I can see it when someone walks in my office, you know, the first appointment they come in and their, their shoulders are forward and they just feel heavy. You know, they feel like they're, I'm um, caring a lot. And, you know, maybe four, six sessions later, they come in, you know, lighter and I can see that they've surrendered things to God. I can see that he's been, you know, renewing their minds that they had a breakthrough in a relationship and and so I think overall, I'm just looking at their level of peace. You know, practically, I take an a, an assessment when I do invent. You know, the um, intake, and I'm looking at you know their physical, mental, and spiritual health. Hmm. So I kind of have these markers that I use to determine are we making progress? Because counseling can feel very subjective. It can feel like, well, how long do I need to come, and how do I know if this is working? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, like we are in a lifelong journey and we're always going to be in process like sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ is a lifelong journey. And so even myself, I, you know, I've not arrived, like I'm human too. I still go to my own counselor because there are things that I need to process and I need support. And so I would say progress is defined by not being where you used to be but being on the journey moving forward closer to God and closer to being aligned with a peaceful and love filled way of thinking.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I I can't help, but think of the expression that I've heard so many times. It says, you know, God loves you just where you are, but he loves you so much. He's not about to leave you there, that we're all on a journey. We're all moving, as you say, to, to sanctification. And we're all different places on that journey. Um, yes. So, you know, besides, uh, I shouldn't say besides, what are some of your suggestions for for families, for men and for women to find good counseling resources? Some of them are listening to us right here in lovely, sunny Fort Wayne, Indiana. But uh, <laughs> through the magic of technology, they may be listening to us at places all over the country. How does one begin the process of finding someone like you to get the help they need?
1: Yeah. I I think that starting with your own social circle is a really powerful place of resource because personal referral I think is king in that you find someone who knows you well and and has heard something specific about someone in your community. I just think word of mouth is a really great place to start, which requires some vulnerability. So I think reaching out, you know, to your circle, um, asking your priest or your pastor who they would recommend, you mm-hmm. know to find someone within your own congregation or parish, I think you're going to find a therapist who's more aligned with your values and your you know, faith uh, paradigm. Um, you know, There's different organizations that we belong to as counselors and therapists, like, like Nationwide, I belong to the American Association of Christian Counselors. Um, within Fort Wayne, there's what's called the Fellowship of Christian Counselors. So there's different networks that you can look at within your area to see maybe who they would recommend. Um, We also live in a day and time where a lot of things are available by technology. So like I do offer virtual and in-person visits, Um, but there's actually, I just recently heard about a resource that I wanted to share and it's an online counseling platform that is for faith-based practitioners. Hmm. Um, It's mycounselor.online and it's all Christian counselors. Um, So that's one place to look if you're looking for faith-based support. Um, There's other organizations like BetterHelp that have um, all different types of counselors and therapists, depending on what you're looking for.
0: Wow, those are great resources, and we'll be sure to include those um, with the program notes. So in the time that we've got uh, remaining, Amber, what's one thing that you want to leave our listeners with uh, about you and about uh, Christian Counseling?
1: Yeah, I I just want to emphasize that everyone needs a safe space to be known and to know. And I think everyone deserves to be heard, to be understood, and to be supported. And so if you're feeling alone, I want you to know that there is support out there. Um, It might take a little bit of effort to find the right fit, but it's absolutely worth it. And it's an investment. It's an investment in yourself. It's an investment for your family if you become more and more emotionally healthy that's going to help your marriage thrive it's going to help your family thrive and you know even outside of counseling there's a lot of different resources out there there are support groups you know there's we have some here in our office hospitals offer different types of support groups depending on what your situation is i offer some free educational resources such as webinars seminars um, online courses Um, and so that all that information is available on my website, Um, And you can also just continue to seek out the other resources that we mentioned. I just think it's important to take the first step.
0: Well, thank you so much. I uh, Really, really have enjoyed listening to you. I can't help but just hear over and over, there's a difference between being broken and beaten, uh, because if you're broken, you can heal. And uh, I just know that patients having a chance to spend some time with you virtually or in person they're going to further uh, further their journey of healing. So I hope listeners that you've enjoyed this discussion with Amber Todd. You can find more information. You can take that next step uh, in counseling and in your healing healing journey. You can join her email list at ambertodd.org. Or if you have questions that you'd like to ask Amber, you can reach her at hello at ambertod.org. That's hello at ambertod.org. You can also call our office to arrange either an an in-person or a virtual appointment by calling 260-222-7401. I want to thank you for joining us uh, at All Things Women's Health. Please like and subscribe this podcast and tell your friends about us. I'll be back soon with another episode of All Things Women's Health. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud.